Hello and welcome to Fly With Your Shadow, the podcast all about music, mental health and illness, and the mess that the COVID pandemic has made of all of it. I'm Jeff Robson and this show comes to you from my home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm very happy to welcome a lot of new listeners that we've picked up over the past couple of episodes. I think we're picking up steam a little bit. I hope you guys will go back and check out some of the early episodes and subscribe so you don't miss any of the upcoming shows. I really appreciate the feedback that I've received, and I'm always glad to hear from you with any thoughts or suggestions via email at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com, or you can go to the website at flywithyourshadow.com or find us on social media. I started this show because I really love music. It means so much to me and I've had and seen way too many mental health issues and the problems that come along with them. My hope is that we can start to talk about just how common mental health issues are and reduce some of the fear and mystery and shame involved. A mental illness or a mental health issue can be very isolating. So knowing that others are suffering like you can be really, really helpful. Those of you who are lucky enough to not have a mental health issue, I hope that you'll become a little bit more aware of how common these things are and know what to watch for in the people that you know and look out for the people who might need a check-in once in a while. Music has provided me with such relief and support over the years. I really love songs that are simple and relatable and that feel like they could be connected to my life or someone I know. I'm especially drawn to songs that are dark and sad and contain heartbreak and loneliness. Funny as it may sound, those songs often make me feel a lot less alone and they bring me comfort and in some strange way, a lot of joy. This episode features a conversation with one of my very favorite songwriters and someone who knows all about those sad, dark, lonely situations and has channeled them into some wonderful, wonderful songs. Hi, I'm Lynn Miles, singer-songwriter from Ottawa, Canada. We will wax and wane just like the moon And in the end, the end will come too soon The stories we keep in our souls Are wild and true and sad and gold Our songs will rise and fall And change their tunes It's now been 30 years since Lynn Miles released her debut full-length album Chalk This One Up to the Moon. Last year, in the midst of the pandemic, she released her 15th album, We'll Look for Stars. As usual, it was a critical success and it got a lot of rave reviews and great reaction from people who have heard it. In between the first and the latest, she's had big record contracts, publishing deals, and has toured all over the place. The stress and grind of it all almost killed her. Fortunately, she was able to channel a lot of her struggles into the magnificent songs that she's released. She's come out of it with a highly respected catalog of work, a number of high-profile awards, and the respect and admiration of music fans and fellow musicians around the world. She's also become a great advocate for better mental health among musicians and greater awareness of mental illness. It's always a great joy and a great pleasure to speak with my friend Lynn Miles. This town used to have a sweet old soul Now every street has a new pothole There's record-breaking profits at the big box store Main Street ain't Main Street anymore 
right, so I usually start these chats looking at uh, at 2020, which uh, kind of, as you know, did not turn out to plan. You uh, you had been it's it sounds like you had been working on a record and uh, had these had these plans, I'm sure, to release it in 2020, and then things kind of got a little squirrely. So, can you tell me a bit about how things were shaping up and and what happened? Oh, what happened was I had, you know, I, lo- I did a, ki- a ki- like a um, crowdfunding campaign at the end of 2019, and I raised enough money to do the record. And then, you know, the p- pandemic hit. I started recording in January, actually, and uh, I had all the bed tracks done. And then, um, then I went on a little tour. And then when I came back, the pandemic had hit. And, uh, so Dave Dre is who owns the studio. He closed the studio for a while. And then one day he called me, he said, you know, you and I can go in there. We've got the bed tracks. You and I can go in there and be safely distanced from each other. We can continue working on it, which was great because I had absolutely nothing to do. And I was really itching to get back in and, and do a record, you know, really wanted to make a record. And I wasn't really concerned about releasing a record in a pandemic. I didn't really care. I just wanted to make a record. So uh, I went back in and he and I basically did everything else. We played all the instruments. So we had the bed tracks. We had the, we had the drums and bass done. And so then we just went in and we did, we just sort of played music for uh, several months. Just, I would go in, roll out of bed at noon and then walk over to the studio and and we just, you know, do whatever we felt like doing. We didn't really have a schedule. And because of the, the pandemic, he wasn't really booked up for anything. So I kind of had this fabulous analog studio all to myself that has a grand piano and really great instruments hanging on the wall. So I could sort of look up and, you know, see um, a Telecaster and think, okay, what can I put that on? How What can I do with that? You know, so it was really creative. and. um I don't really like having a lot of people in the studio. I like doing it like one or with one or two people. I sort of enjoy that process better. So it was perfect for me. And I could, you know, I didn't have to go in the morning, which I hate and um, could stay late if I wanted to. And uh, he was just really flexible. And so we got it done and we flew in a couple parts. I got Greg Lees to play some steel on a couple songs. I sent that off to LA and he sent it back to me. Um, but that was it there really aren't any other people on the record. I think Rebecca Campbell sings on one song because she was in town for something to visit with her dad. Um, but that was it. So it was really fun. And um, then I just released it on in July. I, I was sort of going to hold on to it for a little while longer, but the um, there's a label that I've worked with in Europe for most of my career, uh, CRS. And they said, let's put it out in July. And I said, okay, because I didn't have a deadline. So I wasn't working towards the deadline. And then he said July 3rd. And so that was in like mid-March. So we started actually like having a work ethic. We had to, de- yeah, we had to develop a work ethic, which really sucked. But, um, but yeah, so we had a bit of a deadline, which I guess I think in, in hindsight is, you know, that it's always good for people who are like me, who are very with no boundaries and no schedule to have a deadline is a good thing. So. So that's what we did. And he put it out over there. Um, and, you know, I didn't do, <laughs> I didn't do a launch. I just kind of said, okay, here's my record. But he did more of a launch. And I ended up on the, I was like number one on the European Americana chart for the month of August, which was pretty sweet. 
um, I don't know if it got any airplane Canada, but <laughs> well, it certainly did from me. I'll tell me and okay, yeah, you're the one. Excellent, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Me and John Prentice here in Winnipeg plays you all the time. And yeah, so there's. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, you know what? You never know. Like, you know, I'll get a, I'll occasionally get a letter saying, Hey, we're going to play your record, but you never know. Right. So, um, so I have no idea what it's done out there because usually, you know, you put a record out and then you go and play some shows and and you're sort of made aware of whether people like your record or not, or, you know, uh, and you sell CDs at your shows and stuff still to this day um but that didn't happen so the weirdest part of all of that was not getting kind of reactions from people you know it's uh that was strange because this was my 15th album so i'm used to the cycle of writing songs putting a record out then touring and you know playing festivals and selling cds and stuff like that people emailing me say, oh, I love your CD and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's a, it's sort of felt like I was releasing it over a cliff, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and there, it was just like mist and you couldn't see where it went or anything like that. But I, I'm glad I made it. I'm, I'm really happy with it. And it has gotten some really nice reviews. And so I'm glad, I'm glad I put it out because it's always like when you, when I put out a record, cause I write a lot of songs. For me, it's like cleaning out a room, you know, getting the stuff out of the room to make room for something else to put in the room. So when I I have like 20 songs, I could do two more records right now. And uh, so I'm thinking about making another one. But, uh, you know, I did sort of tell myself 15 is enough. You know, stop. Stop doing this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, geez. What a ridiculous thing. Yeah. Well, we don't want you to stop at 15. We, you know, our, your fans out here, we, we would like another 15. So. Okay. Well, I could, you know what? I could probably do it. <laughs> I have enough songs. Of course, whether they would be any good or not, is the question. it's not about quantity. It should quality. It should be about, no, it's not, shouldn't be about quantity. It should be about quality, but. Well, I've never heard a stinker in the Lynn Miles catalog. That's for sure. So. Thank you so much. I aim, I, I, I aim for that. Yeah, I aim for that. So, in some ways, the the pandemic, I guess, helped you to make this record because you had that extra time and had that extra freedom to kind of go and record at your own pace and at your own schedule. Did that did that kind of improve things? Do you think, or or speed things along anyway? Because you had that time and the freedom. It was. I have to say. I mean. I would never want to go through anything like this and I wouldn't want anybody else to go through anything like this ever again. But I have to say the early days of it, I, you know, I had a bunch of touring booked and I just kind of relaxed my shoulders and went, Oh my God, I get to stay home. And, um, and I got food in my fridge and had to actually cook my own meals and, um, actually got to sleep, you know? And, um, so there was a there was a very large percentage of the time where I was like, okay, I'm okay with this right now, you know. Just personally, on a per, you know, you know, obviously we don't want any more of this stuff. But but just the, at the beginning, it was like a relief to not have to keep moving because that's all I've done. You know, I'm 62. I've been moving since I was in my 20s. 
always constantly playing shows, driving, flying, driving, flying. And, um, and to not have to think about it was uh, a great relief, actually, for me. And, um, I, you know, I can't say I haven't spent much time writing or I just spent a lot of time going for walks, riding my bike and reading books. Uh, and it, it's been very nice. Yeah. So, but I have to now make a living. So there's that. So I've done a co- I've done some online shows and I had a couple of royalty checks coming in and putting record out is good for, you know, you get some record sales and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, the the uh, the bank account's pretty low now, so I'm gonna have to get off my ass and actually do something, which is such a drag, but so great at, at the same time. So let's see what happens. So I know you've got a couple of things planned. You've got a an online show coming up with uh, with a group you're calling the Mavens. What's that all about? So that's uh, playing music with my friends uh, Sherry Ulrich and Susan Crow, who are both great singer songwriters. And uh, Susan Crow lives in Pictou County, Nova Scotia, and she's a great songwriter. She hasn't had as much sort of uh, exposure as Sherry and I have in her career, but she co-writes with Jonathan Reichman and Stephen Fearing, and she's just such a great writer and singer. And and then Sherry Elric, everybody knows Sherry, and she can play a million instruments. And we decided last year... Uh, that we were going to do this thing called The Mavens, and it was going to be like an in-the-round songwriter thing where we would play on each other's songs and sing on each other's songs. And we're all kind of of the same age, and and we kind of think the same way about a lot of things, and we just thought it would be really fun to hang out and play some shows, and we booked a tour and everything. But So last January, I was in British Columbia on tour, and Susan was there visiting her brother, and Sherry lives out there, so we actually rehearsed. We book we book shows before we even rehearse because we knew we could do it. Um, that's how cocky we are. Um, but so we, you know, we rehearsed a bunch of songs because we had started booking some shows for last spring on the on the East Coast. We were going to do a tour of little theaters, and uh, and then we didn't do it. So we end. So we're going to do a, um, a home roots Zoom concert on March 28th at three o'clock Eastern Standard Time. But, uh, yeah, and it, because it's a Zoom concert, we cannot play together, which is unfortunate. But we'll all be on the screen at the same time, and we're just going to do a kind of in the round and talk a little bit about the songs. And, um, but it's really our first official show as the Maidens. So, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Are you able to start planning live in-person shows, or is that still kind of in a holding pattern? You. I booked a couple shows for about one in the summer, which I believe is an outdoor show. And then I've got one next Christmas. Because I do this Christmas show with string players and stuff. And, and so I booked it at this winery. And we'll see if that happens or not. I'm, I haven't really, I haven't been on the case because it's just been, you know, lying around eating bonbons and reading books when I should be out there booking shows, but I just, I, I just don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, I should probably just book them and believe that they're going to be there. And then if they get canceled, they get canceled. I suppose that's what everybody else is doing. But, you know, I, I, I'm also aware that there's going to be a mad rush, you know, for all of us who haven't been working, who now, who can then work, hopefully that, 
there'll be a mad rush. And I don't like being part of a mad rush. So <laughs> I don't really know how I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I always do, which is to kind of let the universe decide my fate. <laughs> I've become very aware of how my anxiety rises up in certain situations. And the music business is the worst business in the world. So, I try to avoid it at all costs because it just makes me anxious. All of it, all of it, every aspect of it makes me anxious. So I just kind of let it, I let the universe decide. Like sometimes I'll just think, oh, I wish I could get a gig. And then uh, somebody will email me and say, would you like to play? And I go, okay, thanks, the universe. You know, so I just kind of, it's not that I'm not engaged in it, but I, 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 I know my limitations in terms of getting involved in the businessy booking stuff. So I just take it really easy. And, and at this point too, like really like to pick the show. I don't really want to tour all the time. I would like to just play a couple shows and be able to go home and, you know, like, so, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that <laughs> I, I should be careful what I ask for. But anyway, <laughs> what I wish for. Anyway, I just kind of am throwing it out there and who knows what's going to happen. I don't know. So, and I don't want to stress. So I'm just going to uh, believe in the universe. If I'm supposed to be doing it, I'll do it. And if I'm not, I won't. And, uh, you know, if I also, at some point, I'll probably do another crowdfunding thing to make another record. Um, so that's always fun. And that's always, uh, you know, when you do stuff like that, where you're sort of in control of the situation, I like being in control of the situation. So if I do that, then I'll, then I'll know that I have a project to do. I like having a project and, and having a parameter around it so that I have this thing to focus on. So then I can focus on it. I always sort of started working on which songs I'm going to do and how I'm going to present them. So uh, I've already kind of started on that. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. The the other big topic we talk about uh on the show is uh is people's struggles with uh, mental health and mental illness and you've you've talked about that before about having different struggles in your life and I know you actually did a you did a presentation at Folk Alliance kind of on the topic, right? Yeah. I did a I was thinking about um as I said I'm 62. I've been on the road for a long time and I've I'm still here, you know, like it hasn't completely destroyed me, although it came close several times. But, you know, musicians, artists, especially touring artists, we're so, you know, we're so thankful for the opportunities that we get. And so we don't want to not show up and we don't want to, we want to do everything we possibly can to get there. And we really want to play a great show. That's everyone I know who does this. That's what we want. But, you know, so many times I've, you know, been driving through a snowstorm to get to a show where I know three people will show up because there's a snowstorm, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, why am I doing this? And, I, and a lot of us do it because, first of all, we want to do it. Uh, secondly, we don't want the promoter to think we're a loser or we're lazy. And we also know that there's somebody else behind us who would gladly drive another hour in the snowstorm to do it. But that's not a healthy way to live. It's really hard on your mental health and your physical health. And there are limitations to what you can do as a human being. And when when you're touring, um, you'll just you'll you go beyond the the boundaries of what's good for your health, which can then uh, exacerbate any kind of depression or anxiety that you have. 
Um, and, you know, that's another lesson that I learned this year about, you know, what are the things that make me anxious? And even um, I did a Zoom concert last night, like a private Zoom concert, and I haven't played a show since Christmas time. And um, the last week, I have been so anxious with some depression mixed in. And, you know, a lot of, some other stuff has been going on, but after I played the show, or actually as I started playing the show, I felt so much better. And I think that in my body, my body and my brain are preparing for this thing, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I, you know, if you think about performing, a lot of people are even too afraid to get up on stage. Some people have stage fright. Um, there are some people who just would never do it. And I've been doing it so long that I think that I never think of it, but I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually, I'm usually visualizing the show. I'm going through the set list. I'm going through what I'm going to say. And I don't even, I've done it so much and for so long that I'm not even aware of it. And there's a, there's an energy to that, which is a good energy, but there's also anxiety attached to it. Um, because your ego is engaged and what if you mess up and all of, all of those things or what if something goes wrong? And it's just like there's a preparation required, um, which I'm better at now than I used to be, but I've forgotten that I get sort of agitated before the show, that I, that it, I start to sort of hype myself up. And maybe that's sort of like if you're going to run a race, you, you, know, you, you have to get your adrenaline going and, and it's something to be aware of. But, and there's also, you know, there's the, uh, there's the addiction and, the, you know, the average age of death for a musician is 57. That's crazy. I know. Prince was 57. Um, you know, and it's the lifestyle. It's um, because we do things to our bodies that other people don't do. And we, we're also, you know, after we play a show, people want to have a party with us. So there's alcoholism and drug addiction. And, um, you know, it's like there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to this uh, calling, this obsession that we have playing music that there's some darkness to it. There's some great, fabulous stuff, but there's a lot of darkness. And if you don't, I, whenever I do like a sort of um, speeches to, to younger people, I say, you know, don't get into this business unless you have your mental health together. And you can even look at Justin Bieber, who's like the most famous guy in the world. And isn't it amazing? But he's just, he talks about it, how he suffered from his fame, his, success, the things that were expected of him. And it's really true. The higher you go, because I know some people who are higher up, the higher you go, the more stress there is put on you by other people, but also by yourself. Because the higher you go, the more perfect you have to be. And, and the more work you end up doing, the more interviews you have to do, the more you have to be on all the time. So... I just think that, and there's the concept of the show must go on, which I'm, you know, it's a cliche, but it's something that I hear promoters say it and musicians say it. And I think, no, because I think the title of my talk at the Folk Alliance was the show does not have to go on, <laughs> you know, because I feel like, well, no, the show doesn't have to go on if you're sacrificing so much that you're hurting yourself on some level, you know? Um and I, I think that's the talk we all have to have. And I think it's better than it used to be. 
you know, the 27 Club exists because of the 60s and the 70s, right? Where the, these young musicians died of overdoses and stuff like that. And I think that's changed a lot. I think there are a lot of artists who are actually like physically fit and are made more aware of the of the the notion that there could be some mental health issues involved in this. And famous people are now like Demi Lovato is talking about all these famous people are talking about it, which is great. I think that it's like any anything that's a taboo. The more you talk about it, the easier it is to accept that it exists and the easier it is to find help for it and to not be ashamed of it. And um, and I also think like uh, there's a great book called Lost Connections. Do you know this book? No. Uh, Johan Hari. And it's a book about how we deal with depression and anxiety. And one of the things he says in the book, and I can't, I can never remember the quote, but it that um, it's not a sign of strength to be healthy in an unhealthy world. You know, if you're struggling, you're struggling because it, you know our value systems are all messed up. And if if you're a sensitive being, it's going to hurt you. The world will hurt you because it's not right. You know, there are homeless people. Uh, there are wars. Uh, there are billionaires who don't care about anybody else. You know, like the values are screwed. So if you are a sensitive person, if you're an artist or just just a sensitive person, of course it's going to hurt you. And it's okay that it hurts you, but you have to find a way to, to get through it and to live your life the best way that you can. And you have to find the ways of sort of looking after yourself in the middle of all this craziness, right? Find that you have to find your team. You have to find the people who love you the most and and want you to be happy and successful. And you have to find uh, the rituals in your own life, whether it's going for a walk in the forest or reading poetry or riding a horse or what or petting a dog or whatever it is that makes you feel calm and allows you to transcend the ridiculousness of the world. Um, because it's you know we're not living right, so. How would you expect anybody who's, you know, even remotely intelligent or has any sensitivity to be a happy ski bunny every single day? It's impossible, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So, but yeah, that book is called Lost Connections. It's one of my favorite books about depression because one of the things he talks about also talks about values, our value systems, but also like in the world where he's he's gone around the world and talk to people in various uh, situations. And one of the things that I'm a huge supporter of is a guaranteed annual income. Because if you have, when you're poor, your depression and anxiety, you don't even, you're not even aware of how much your poverty contributes to that. Because if you're used to being poor, you don't even realize, you know, I come from poverty. So I understand this. And I know in my life, and I live a precarious life because I'm an artist and I never know how much money is coming in. If I don't know how much money is coming in, my anxiety level goes up. So imagine like if you're living every day, you know, if you don't have enough money to buy diapers for your kids or you don't have, you know, or you're not sure if your um, minimum wage job is going to be there next week. That's anxiety creating. So... In this book, he talks about these communities and how important a community is and how important it is to have housing that's affordable and so that every single thing you do isn't going to pay for your rent and where you have time off and where you don't have to work 
a 50 hour week to make enough money just to pay your rent. Like all that stuff contributes to our mental health problems. All of it does, right? And if you're, you know, at community to be around, to be around other people, I think we probably learned that through the pandemic, how important it is to have solid relationships, be around other people, even if it's just to go to the coffee shop you go to every day and see the barista that you see every day and you go, hey, how's it going? Even that is a, is a positive uh, step in your day. So anything that even remotely comes close to that, I think, can help people. And, and, and also to, for us to understand if we're doing well and we see somebody who's begging on the street or, you know, that they come from, they're there because they're in pain. And, and you know, for, other, for us to not judge people for the things that they're doing, that's a huge thing, too. And to, and to look people in the eye. Um, you know, and see their humanity. That helps, and that helps your own mental health. The other thing is if you help other people, your own mental health gets better because you feel better about yourself and you feel connected to something. Um, you, so you talk a lot, about, a lot about how it sounds, I mean, the music industry and, and what you guys put yourself through and all that would, would be hard enough on anybody, but as I've learned in my and talking to so many musicians over the years, and certainly on this show, there certainly seems to be a predisposition, a genetic or whatever it is, predisposition to some mental illness in the first place that somehow, whether it makes you more likely to be an artist or it just sort of comes through in the art, I don't know. But uh, I talked to Nikki Maida, I know, uh, who I know you know, uh, a few weeks ago, and she talked about her bipolar disorder and how that kind of leads her to, to, to need to have this creative outlet and, and things like that. And then last week, um, I was talking to, to our friend Scott Nolan and he was talking about his anxiety and how that kind of drives his work or how that kind of, you know, impacts his life. So do you, do you think that there's, uh, am I just picking up on, on the wrong pe on the right or the wrong people here, or is there a, an underlying tendency I think you're right. There was a there's a great British study, which is where I got the quote from the that the average age of death is is uh, 57. They they did this massive study of creative people, musicians, artists, but they did a lot on musicians. They even map out the genres and where the average death is for certain genres of musicians. Like it's they did a really serious study, and they did say they do say that. Um, the rate of uh, mental illness among uh, musicians is is higher than the general population. So then you think, okay, well, for me, um, I could play music when I was a kid. I could just play. So I had an ear and an ability to play music for some reason. Who knows? But for me, to play music was a form of healing myself in my room by myself when my parents were fighting and when I was scared. So I would sort of soothe myself by singing. I still do that. And playing music made me feel special and unique when I was a girl. And so I kept doing that and I could, I, I could then start writing how I was feeling and writing down these things that were happening. And, and that also helped me heal myself. And so my, I think... I think there are combinations of things. I think 
I do think there's a sensitivity uh, uh, in uh, in artists, especially people who are creating new work. I think you, that that you have to go to places that in your soul and your mind that maybe other people don't want to go, but you want to go because you want to figure it out. And then you want to put it in this beautiful box and deliver it to the world. I think that's a big part of it. Um, I also think, I do think if you have, if you're depressive or you have anxiety, that the music will, will help you and, and it helps you express the pain of all that. And it makes you at the same time feel like you've got something that you can contribute to the world. And it gives your life meaning because if you don't, you need meaning in your life. And that doesn't mean you have to be a superstar. All it means is you need to either bake a pie or have a baby or have a cat or write a short story or something like our lives. You don't, you don't, you don't, arrive in the world with your life having meaning you have to bring meaning to your life like you're kind of like a blank slate right i'm not saying anything that joseph campbell hasn't already said but um you have to bring meaning to your life so how are you going to do that what's your favorite way of doing that and so if you're a musical person it's that so i think there's a combination going on there of somebody who's more susceptible to the mental illness stuff and then also um has a musical ear they combine these two things but here's another thing we don't know what it's like to be a banker and have anxiety and depression and we don't know if because of and i'm not i don't want to beat up on bankers um but well i do actually but but no if you're let's say you're working in a bank and you don't really have a creative way to express yourself who knows how many people are working in situations where they're not creative situations where they, these people, they, they want to say something and they don't, they don't have an outlet for it. Some people play sports or, you know, whatever, bake a pie or whatever. But what if you're in a, in a, an occupation where you're really not allowed to say, Hey, wait a minute. I'm not, you know, like soldiers for until up until very recently, you know, we didn't discuss PTSD. Because you were a soldier, your job was to go over there, suck it up, do your thing and come home and, you, and be brave about it and shut up, right? That was your job. And there are other jobs like that in the world. Well, police, police, uh, um, ambulance attendants, uh, you know, your job, you're supposed to be doing your job and you're supposed to not complain about it because you signed up for it and this is what you're going to do. And I think artists have more freedom to, to say, hey, this is really screwing with me. Because it's part of our job to report on that stuff. But if you're a cop or a policeman or, I mean, or a soldier or somebody who's not really supposed to complain and, and gets into high stress situations, there's no outlet. But that's also changing. And the more that changes, the better for our society. You know, even, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and what we've seen of some of the, police forces in the world and even that thing in in london the other day where the metropolitan police force attacked all these women who were protesting the death of a woman you know it's sort of like maybe there's no opportunity for these people to sit around and 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 commiserate and and try to figure out where the feelings are coming from and you know at least when you're a songwriter you get to do that and you get to express it 
Is it hard for you to tap into those things though? Because I know like me, when, when I feel bad, I often want to run away from it. And it seems like you got a lot of sad and dark songs in the catalog, Lynn. And so, so you're obviously going to this place and pulling something beautiful out of it. Um, is it, is that a hard thing for you to do? Or do you think it ultimately helps you to kind of understand those things and deal with them faster than maybe? Well, I think the goal for me was to, I've always been curious as to the human condition. Why is that person doing that thing? Uh, why am I doing this thing? Why do I feel like this? I've always, I'm just curious. I've always been really curious about it. Um, and I, I'd have to say that um, I take antidepressants now. So it's not a place I go to as often as I did when I was younger. And also when I was younger and I, wasn't, I hadn't been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I was living a much crazier life than, you know, I was way out there. I mean, I, you know, I'm lucky I'm here. So, you know, so a lot of like earlier stuff, I'm looking at it, like I've been listening to it lately to see what it was like, because I haven't listened in a long time. And I said, oh, yeah, I know why I wrote that song. I remember the situation. I would never be in that situation now because I'm, you know, I, first of all, I've you know, been straightened out a bit and, um, and I don't want to feel those things now. I think that's kind of a younger person's game. I think you have to be very careful with it too, because it can really, uh, it can be a very destructive force to go into those places and dredge stuff up. But if you can do it in a safe way, then that's great, uh, without annihilating yourself completely. It also can be very cathartic, to, you know, to go, you know, a lot of earlier stuff is about relationships and how you relate to people and, you know, getting into trouble. And if you can sort of report on it on your for yourself and figure it out, maybe you won't do it again. And maybe you'll learn something from it. And maybe somebody who's listening will also take from it, take something you said. But... um yeah, but I, I have to say, like, and when I went on antidepressants, I was very concerned that I wasn't going to be able to write and I wasn't going to be able to go to those places. But um, I think it's taken me, I can still go to melancholia, but it's not tragic anymore. It's more, it, and I think that's, it comes with getting older and just being more mature and, and not wanting to put yourself into certain positions. Uh, situations, but I, I feel like I can, I have an overview. I have a more of an overview of the human condition, a little bit of my role in it, but more, I can, I don't know. I just, I, I seem to have developed more maybe empathy and compassion for other people. It's not so self-focused and selfish. And so, um, so I'm writing from a bit of a different place, but I think that happens to people as they get older too. So it's a combination of, you know, getting on some medication and straightening myself out a bit. And cause I don't really want to feel the way I feel felt when I wrote some of those songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting for me because I know that I am drawn to a lot of my favorite songwriters are just really sad and, dark and some of these songs. And, and I know that it's because I kind of feel like they feel the way that I've felt in my life. And it feels, it makes me feel a little, a little less alone when I hear somebody else who's gone through a lot of these things. So, so I'm always, 
always drawn to that. I love, I love, you know, it's the stuff that I'm drawn to too. And I think it, I think it allows us to, uh, to grieve and it allows us to hurt in a way that's sort of palpable and almost joyful in a way. Like, you know, I, when my father was dying, I, every day I would leave the hospital and put Patty Griffin on a um, couple of albums that I love of hers. And the songs are not happy. They're like, they're very emotional, melancholy songs, but they made me feel better because I felt like I had a place to put my grief because I didn't know what to do with it. You know, and so I could, I could put the earbuds on and I could just listen to this thing and it would sort of take me cinematically to a place and allow me to kind of grieve without just sitting there by myself in my room grieving alone. You know, I I felt like I was with a person or they were with me. And I know like there are some songs that I have where people will come up and they'll say to me, you know, that song got me through my passing of my mother or got me through my marriage breakup. And they're sad songs. But it's like, well, I'm traveling on that road with you. You know, I, I get it. And you know what? We're all of us, all humans. We get it. We're, you know, it doesn't end well for anybody. There's grief everywhere. We're in this together, whether we want to believe it or not. And if somebody can put music to your feelings or um, give you a place where you can sit and listen to something and it helps you, helps the tears come out, which is good for you, then that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But at the same time, we, we, we want to see you happy. We we don't want you to be sad. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you've, you know, you found the antidepressants and you've obviously come to terms with a lot of these things. Um, and we always hear about like, like addicts who are afraid to stop because they're afraid that the work is not going to come anymore. It's not going to be the same anymore. It, did you have some of those same concerns that like, if I'm happy, maybe my songs won't be very good anymore? Absolutely. And I get that. I get that, um, you know, for me, my commitment to what I do is massive. I mean, I, I never got married. I didn't have kids. I just wanted to be a musician. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I would do whatever was required to do that. But you, you also have your life, you know, like you have this one life, whether maybe if you're a Buddhist, you think you have more lives. Um, but you know, right now you've got this one life. So, you know, how much pain do you want to be in? And I just think I get, I get the idea that, um, you know, you'll see somebody like, who am I thinking of now? Remember Robin Holcomb. I remember seeing Robin Holcomb and it's like the darkest and I'm watching him and I'm thinking, no, that's not, you know, there might be people who think that's cool and everything, but he was in so much pain in this video. And you just think, I think, um, I just think, no, it's not worth it. You know, look at Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's still here. You know, and look at the work that he's done. He did not succumb to the darkness. And he, if he had any addictions, he didn't succumb to them. And uh, unfortunately now... A lot of people like somebody like Tom Petty or Prince succumb to fentanyl, right? That's the problem now. It used to be those people would have survived. But now people, it's just a, it's a nightmare out there. 
so, uh, and it's interesting, somebody like Tom Petty or Prince, these people were, had physical pain. And so they went back on to drugs, but, but the physical pain was from years of touring and carrying the gear and playing the guitars. And, and Prince had all these, this hip pain from doing the splits and, you know, it was high heels on and stuff like that. So there's another, you know, um, another person down from being a touring musician and the pain that you do. And they, they gave up, they gave up everything so they could do that thing. And we're grateful and we love the music, but, but I'd rather have Prince. I wish that Prince had taken some time off. I would rather have him here, you know, and I'd rather have Tom Petty here. I'd rather have Janis Joplin here. I'd rather have all those people rather than, give everything up to do their thing. And I, or you think somebody like Amy Winehouse and you think like, what would she be doing now? Even if she, you know, if she got her life together and she was mentally well, it would still be great. You know, would still be great. Yeah. And you don't know if you lose them, then, then you don't know what you, what you would have had if they had maybe gotten their self together. You don't know. That's the nature of the industry and especially of trying to be successful or trying to be a star or whatever it is, right? There's, there's people in an office that are telling you to work harder, work faster, work better, work, work, you know, don't, don't sleep, don't eat, don't do all that stuff. So is there a way to, to, to make this a better situation so that future generations don't have to go through all that? I don't know. Like, I think that the big stars like Demi Lovato and Bieber and those people, uh, speaking out about it is a start. Um, but I don't know if, you know, it, it's the worst business in the world because it just preys on these, especially young kids who, you know, have all this raw talent and want to please people and are, but are sensitive and, um, you know, it preys on those people. And, you know, it'd be nice to change the nature of the industry. You're not going to change the artist. You shouldn't change the artists because they're fabulous. Um, and but but I you know I know some famous people and they're definitely different. They have a personality where they're there's a where there's a quest for fame. You know I've never understood that because I've never wanted to be famous. But who would want to be famous, right? Um, but there's a quest for fame and and there's a like I'm going to do anything to get this kind of attitude. So I'm not, I can't speak to that because I've never had that. The only thing I've had where I'm going to do this thing is like, I want to just be a better writer every day. I just, that's my thing. I want to do a better writer and I want to do a better show, but I don't want to be famous and I don't want to, like I have, I have no, I see it and I've been around it and it, it frightens me actually. Um, But it takes a very specific kind of personality to get to that point. You put up with a lot of stuff and you're tough. And if you're not tough, that's when it consumes you and you get into trouble. Yeah. And, and the industry, you know, it, it feeds on these people and it throws them out after a couple of years. And that's devastating. So, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you, uh, <laughs> maybe I'm glad you never got famous. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but, but I'm glad that uh, that you were able to navigate those those difficult places and uh, and just come out of it with such great work. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeff. <laughs>
Well, I thank you. I had a record deal and I had a publishing deal. And as soon as I got to that level, I hated it. Um, people were telling me what to do. Uh, somebody told me I needed to lose 10 pounds. And this is when I was like a size eight, you know. And, and so I just thought, eh, you know what? I don't want this. I don't, I don't need to do this. I just want to play my little songs for people who want to hear them. That's really all I ever wanted to do. And, and I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. But I understand wanting more. I also love, like, you know, the times when I, you know, I toured with Richard Thompson and I saw that level, which isn't the highest level of show business, but it's really comfortable. You know, you're playing thousand seat rooms every night. You've got a tour bus. You've got a five-star hotel room. That's a nice way to live. So I can understand wanting to get to that level. But still, even to get to that level, you really do have to put up with a lot of stuff and you have to, you have to really want it. You have to really want it. Well, he, he didn't exactly have an easy life either. So he's, well, no, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. If he was on your show, he would tell you how hard it's been. Um, you know, and he's in a, he's made it to a comfortable level, but here's the other thing. Every time you make it to a level that you think would be comfortable, you always want the next level, you know, that, and that's part of the, it's the, well, it's the addiction of this business where it's never quite good enough. I know somebody who knew somebody who won a Tony Award and threw it across the limousine because it wasn't an Oscar. <laughs> they wanted to win an Oscar. Tony Award was nothing. You know what I mean? So there's always another level that you could be desiring that could be eating you up if you allow it. Right. I want to play, I'm playing 500 seat halls. Well, I want to pay, play a thousand seat halls. So make that happen. How do I make that happen? You know, there's always another level. So I know you've, I know you got the album out. I know, uh, obviously people buying that record would help, but, but how can we, how can we support you or, or encourage you to keep going other than, you know? Well, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a bigger campaign against Spotify. Um, there's a, there's an organization. I've had this conversation before though. Like Spotify is not going to change Spotify. There's no point in yelling at Spotify. We just need to come up with a better one. Or, you know what I would like to do. And I'm not a computer person. So I, I don't know how I would do this. I'd like to take my music off all the platforms and just keep it on my website. And if you wanted to hear a song, you can either buy it for a dollar or you could listen to it and pay me, you know, two cents every time you listen to it or whatever, so that I could actually make a living from doing that like I used to do in the glory days. Um, that would help. Something like that. There's such a convenience to Spotify, though. I keep saying there needs to be a better one where, and it sounds like sounds like SoundCloud, I think, is moving to this model where the money that I put in gets distributed among the people that I actually listen to. So when I pay my $10, I want to know, and even if it's seven fifty or it's $7 or whatever it is, I want to know that the people that I listen to are getting that. So if I listen to only, only Lynn miles that month, I want you to get that seven fifty or whatever it works out to be. So that's the streaming system that I want. Me too. I want, I want that. I think that's a great idea. How can we do that? Can we make that happen? I know <laughs> that's where I've been with it for a long time, but well, why don't you start that? Why don't you start a company that does that? No, no. Me starting anything <laughs> is never a good idea because I don't finish anything. I've been, I've been working on this, this idea for this show for 10 years. I'm not good at getting things done, Lynn. 
you know, that is a form of self-abuse on a very dark, deep level. You know that, right? It's so that you can say to yourself, God, I never get anything done. I'm such a loser. Yeah. <laughs> on yeah. a, yeah, on a very deep level, there's a, there's a, that's a form of self-abuse, but whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shrink your head right now. My, my sessions are $300. <laughs> I'm, I'm not licensed, but I'm not licensed yet, <laughs> but it's $300. Um, anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, I just would like, I'd like uh, artists to make a decent wage for the work, you know, because my last record, even though it was crowdsourced, it was, you know, it cost me $20,000 to put it together and get it out there. Never going to make that back. And, you know, back in the day, I used to pay for my own records, and then I had record companies paying for them. A rec, even like, you know, I'm never going to see that. And I, it takes a, a million streams on Spotify to make $7,000. So I'm never going to see that. And so how can we, I, I think more of the people who are coming up, how can they afford, they can't, you can't even afford to make an album now. If you don't have a fan base, like I'm fortunate that I have a fan base that's large enough to help me uh, crowdsource a record. Right. I have enough. It's sort of like I'm pre-selling it. Right. But if you don't have a big enough fan base to do that, if you're a young performer and you don't have that and your family doesn't have money, and you, how are you going to ever make a record that you can that can stand up beside somebody who did their record in a studio and that sounds good and has good packaging and all that stuff? Like, how do you you know, how do you do it? And you can say. There are records out there like the Michelle Schacht record that she recorded at the campfire. And every once in a while, one of those comes along. But th- that's a rare little diamond in the, in the rough, right? Like so. Well, and then getting it heard is a whole other argument, you know. And getting it heard. It's like, sort of like the more, yeah, the more listens to have, you have, the more listens you get. But how do you get the first listen, right? Yeah. Well, it's really like your shows. You're like, I think... Uh, local radio stations, college stations, local stations, local CBC. I think that's the way to go. You know, if you're a, an independent artist, if you can get your stuff onto the Saturday afternoon jazz show or the folk show or the reggae show or whatever, I think that's the way to go now. You can find out more about Lynn and her amazing music at lynnmilesmusic.ca, and that's Lynn without an E. She's very serious about that point, L-Y-N-N-M-I-L-E-S, music.ca. Most of her albums aren't readily available online, but you can order copies by getting in touch with her at lynnmilesmusic at gmail.com. She has a few outstanding albums available digitally and on CD through True North Records at truenorth.labelstore.ca. Her latest album and her very first are available through her European label, Continental Records Services, on Bandcamp. If you want to find the music, and I sincerely hope that you will, I always put links to buy and find out more about the music used in the show at flywithyourshadow.com. Buying music from artists, especially as directly as possible, is more important than ever. Even if you just stream her albums on Spotify anyway, like many of us do, consider buying a download to support the artists, or just send an e-transfer as your thanks and appreciation. I hope that you're enjoying the talks on this show and learning a thing or two. In order to help keep growing the show, I sure would appreciate your help spreading the word. 
If you could take a moment to share an episode with a friend, that would really help. And make sure that you follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I also host a music show where I play a lot of Lynn Miles and the other guests that you've heard on this show, and you can find that at tellthebandtogohome.com. Again, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or questions, let me know at flywithyourshadow at gmail.com or by visiting flywithyourshadow.com. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate your support, and I hope you'll join me again on the next episode of Fly With Your Shadow.